0: Okay, great. Good afternoon. and um, I'm with uh, Professor Laura Evans and Andy Rhodes, uh, who have co-led the new Surviving Sepsis Campaign Guidelines. Uh, Laura and Andy, could you please introduce yourselves?
1: Yeah, thanks, Manu. Hi, everyone. Laura Evans here from the University of Washington. I'm uh, the co-chair of the Adult Surviving Sepsis Guidelines, uh, representing the Society of Critical Care Medicine.
2: And hi Manu, thanks and uh, good afternoon everyone. I'm Andy Rhodes, I'm a professor of intensive care at St. George's University of London, that's in London, United Kingdom, and I'm the other co-chair of the guidelines representing the European Society of Intensive Care Medicine. Thank
0: you both for taking the time. Uh, Laura, could you highlight the major changes that impact clinical practice in the new guidelines?
1: Yeah, well, as you know, this was a, a huge effort, right, on the part of 60 panelists from around the world And um, So there's a couple different approaches that I think are worth mentioning um, as we introduce people to the revised guidelines, which is that we really had, I think, a greater emphasis this time on um, diverse perspectives being represented on the panel, from gender to geographic to economic perspectives that I think really make for a robust guideline So the the process was incredibly rigorous. We ended up with 93 um, recommendations and statements, um, several of which are new questions this time that I think the readers will find really interesting around fluid management strategies around what techniques should we use for screening for sepsis to almost a whole new section uh, looking at long-term outcomes for patients who survive sepsis and what matters to them. And we had a lot of public representatives on the panel as well, who I think really shed a lot of light onto what matters to patients. So I think we have a lot of guidance that's really patient-centered.
0: Thanks, Laura. Andy, one of the guidelines um, is a strong recommendations
2: against QSOFA.
0: Could you just give us an idea of how, how you came about that?
2: Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Manny. And uh, you have to re- understand the whole of the recommendation rather than the specifics. So it's not about just not using QSOFA. It's about whether QSOFA is an appropriate tool to screen for sepsis at the front end of the pathway and whether it performs better or worse than, when we compare it against the Muse score, the New score, and, and the broader SERS criteria or SOFA score. And what we were looking for was it for it to be highly sensitive. Um, or more sensitive at picking up patients with sepsis than the other scores. And when we we picked out the literature and picked out the data in all respects, um, the q score was highly specific, but was less sensitive than any of the other markers um, for screening for sepsis. Um, So that's why it drove a recommendation against the use of it in that setting for that use in comparison to the comparators.
0: Thanks, Andy, that's really interesting. Looks like uh, there are major changes to the SSE guidelines compared to before. Laura, any other points that you want to highlight, particularly around antibiotics?
1: I think, yeah, I think um, one key take home is something that hasn't changed, which is this continued emphasis on early detection, early appropriate management um, from that. And that hinges still on, you know, the appropriate use of antimicrobial therapy. I think readers will find that the guidance around antibiotics has changed a bit with a greater emphasis on sort of incorporating two elements into the timeliness of antibiotics. One is how sick the patient is and the other is how likely infection is with the shortest time window for being those patients who are most sick with the highest risk of infection and then a little bit longer time window up to three hours for those who have some suspicion of infection, but maybe are less sick and a focused diagnostic evaluation in that time period. Andy, I don't know if you want to add anything else to that
2: that would... No, exactly. So so there wasn't a great deal of new data um, that was driving the changes, but it's a more nuanced way of understanding the data and explaining it in the recommendations. And, and, And it's picking up that nuance of whether or not there's a strong likelihood of the patient having an infection as opposed to not, um, a, a, and how that influences how quickly we either just give antibiotics or actually investigate a bit further to try and be more certain about our diagnostic um, accuracy.
0: Yeah, that's a great point because often clinicians say that the surviving substance campaign guidelines as to reflect clinical practice. Looks like you guys have made a huge effort to do that. Anything you want to highlight about fluid recommendations before we wrap this podcast up?
2: matter the fluid recommendation was always quite controversial. Um I think everyone recognizes that patients presenting with severe sepsis or septic shock need fluid. Um, and there's an urgency to give it but there's always been a little bit of an uncertainty about how much fluid you give, how quickly you give it um and how you monitor or titrate that that that, that, that fluid input. Um, and you have to understand that these guidelines are, are looking to provide recommendations at a global level. So it's not about um, can we do something for an individual patient in a very highly, highly resourced, highly tech-specific intensive care unit? It's, um, how would you actually practice if you were in an area that has got less access to resources, um, perhaps less access to, 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 to expertise, and how can we advise people? So, so, so a while back, we, we, we moved towards recommending a fixed dose of fluid or, 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 or suggesting a fixed dose of fluid at least. Um, and a time frame to start that fluid resuscitation in. This isn't saying that actually every patient needs that volume, it's saying, actually, this is a good starting point. It's probably gonna do your patients a considerable degree of benefit with a very low degree of harm and it gives you time to either get more data, more sophisticated responses or, or approaches to managing that sepsis. So we've kept that recommendation in, although you'll see as you read it that the actual the evidence base behind it has been downplayed a little bit and it's a softer recommendation than it was in the past. And we're seeing a more nuanced approaches to actually how we titrate the fluid in terms of monitoring it coming through. So it's picking up the Andromeda study and, and the markers of study that, or, or peripheral perfusion. And and saying that actually some of these can be used as well as lactate and some of the more traditional hemodynamic measures um, and some of the dynamic markers of fluid resuscitation to guide that fluid. So so it remains give a fixed fluid at the beginning, get going, get started and give you a bit of breathing space while that fluid's going into the sick patient to get some more information.
0: Laura, Andy, fantastic. Thank you so much. I'm so looking forward to reading these guidelines. Thanks very much.
1: Thanks so much, Tanya.